for a meeting so, Me too. here we are Boop. we're here boop. <laughs> oh, gonna, we gotta incorporate the boop into a lot that was fantastic <laughs> uh, our guest is michelle denity we hey, had super mario, uh, super, okay, super mario had, uh, our buddy peter cosmala we asked him who's on the rushmore of privacy he dropped her name and so I was like, yeah, we, she's going to be. Yeah, she's, a, she's a boss lady. She's crazy yeah. in a good way. You know, like she's got a lot of energy um, and a lot of opinions, which is awesome. She's done so much. Like, uh, like how, though? Like, career resume how? ludicrous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I don't understand. I mean, you'd think she was 100 years old, but she's not. Like, I, I don't know. She's done a lot, man. She's done a lot of things. And um First smart, CPO, first CPO at Sun Microsystems, acquired by Oracle, worked at Oracle, McAfee's CPO, Cisco's CPO. Crazy I mean, talk. Yeah. Everything. Crazy talk. I've never heard of any of those companies. Yeah. <laughs> except the one <laughs> yeah, you worked for. Yeah, except the one I worked for. No, yeah, man. She's 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 made the rounds in like very powerful roles, man. And like CPO, when CPO was kind of like a novel thing still, new. right? Like new, yeah. And uh, her Twitter feed, which we didn't get to talk about with her, it's Mdenity. Like, it's great because it mixes her personality, humor. Uh, it's a lot, you know, a lot of the values we try to uh, put forth on this show about privacy uh, and about life and about the five to nine, you know, mixing your real life and, and all that stuff. So her Twitter feed is authentic. It's nice. What I like about it is like, to your point, it's just human, dude. Yeah, you know, like it's just human, and there's so much pressure all the time. I I feel that pressure too because I'm kind of like a, a I don't know I don't know what the right word is, but like just <laughs> I'm out there. Excellent. But like, I yeah, I mean I share, man, and I'm emotional, and like a lot of the times like that's looked at negatively, and I get feedback about it. And but I'm not going to change. It's not going to happen. And I think she's authentic in that way too. She is. Have you taken the MBTI Myers Briggs? Uh, you want to hear a fun story about that? It. I just took it a, a month ago. Do I ever have a story? For, and I'm not going to share what my I am. Uh, people can decide for themselves. But I can administer that, my sen- my friend. I can administer that uh, examination to people. And uh, I haven't in many years, but um, I definitely enjoyed learning about people's view of themselves versus the results on that uh on that test and um having discussions about is that from prolexic from way before before okay way before okay i'll tell you what i'll what. i'm not gonna guess but i know i know i'm an e and i know you're an e maybe you may have little little eyes in, in you too but i'm becoming more i than e you know, I used to be way extroverted. I used to be like, all I want to do is hang out with people. All I want to do is be with friends. And over the years, I've I've gotten more energy from my alone time as I've sure. gotten older. I think because people only see me when I'm being public, they assume I am an extrovert. Right. Because when I'm in that light, I'm very outgoing. Yeah. I spend more time alone than I do around people. I mean, you know me, man. I live alone for the last two years. I, I, I always comment on the show how nobody comes here. Like... I actually live a pretty solitary sounds bad, but I love solitude, man. You see, you follow me on Instagram. I don't have a tremendous following. You see that almost everything that I post on there is by myself. I spend a lot of time alone recharging so I can do things like this. Well, this is how you're, this is how you're the Superman of privacy. You have your fortress of solitude where you go and you put your little crystals in and you listen to, to some hip hop and you go on a camping trip and you're, you're good. (laughs) <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. And you know, to that point, like, it's interesting, like we're watching Simone Biles, like kind of do some really revolutionary things in the Olympics, like, not so much win a bunch of gold medals, but say, not in the right headspace to do this. And I'm not here to, you know, I don't feel performative right now. Um, and so I'm going to withdraw. I can feel her on that a lot, man. Like, sometimes I don't feel like putting on the dog and pony show. 
and you know I withdraw and like and go into my safe spaces, which don't include a lot of people. And and I don't know, man. Uh, I, I need that recharge. I talked to my wife about this recently around like the Naomi Osaka with, with that's drugs. another great example. Like, so it's uh, it's a long conversation we can have on another pod, but uh, it's nice to see people inching towards comfort around talking about what makes them comfortable and not comfortable. And like, I don't feel good about this, so I'm not going to do it because I don't feel great about it. There's no, I'm a big tennis guy. So there's another professional tennis player, Nick Kyrgios from Greece. He's like, I don't care if I win a grand slam. I don't care. And that's a weird thing to say, you know, in the tennis world, people are like, what do you mean? Like, aren't you like, you know, completely dedicated to that for the rest of your life? You know? And he's like, no, I'm not. No, I saw an amazing, I know we got to get busy, but I saw an amazing interview and it was a European, I think basketball coach who got asked like, Oh, you let so-and-so player like miss the championship game to go have the birth of his child. Like, Oh, have the birth, watch or be present for the birth of this child. Uh, and then you, whatever, you lost the game or whatever. It's sort of in a critical sense, the question was being asked. And the the coach, man, he hit it out. You can Google it. It's like, if you Google, if you go on YouTube and type in like basketball coach, childbirth, it'll pop up. Yeah. But anyway, like he basically said, uh, "Have do you have children? Because that's the most important moment in his life. And of course he went. And I would have been mad if he would have stayed. Like that's the job. Like, hello? Like it, this is just his job, man. Like he's having a baby. Like, yeah. no, go be yeah. with your baby. And, and also it's basketball. Also, um, you know, as the coach, and like, with your wife. like managing your people and your relationships with your people. Like I've, I've pumped up phil jackson's book 11 rings before but i'll do it again one more time like the way he deals with dennis rodman is different because dennis rodman needs different dealings he's a different person and like he needed to allow him to do certain things and it's just like dennis rodman has had a a lot of struggles and and uh, and a lot of his struggles are less about and i don't know dennis rodman but seem less about um, like his idiosyncrasies and more about society's lack of acceptance for them. But anyway, whatever. Let's yeah. talk about privacy. Yeah. Let's, All right. We, we won't. I need to talk about flies. I, I, got, I got flies on my mind. <laughs> All right. Let's push record. <laughs> We're going on. Right, yeah. I, we record in, on this. Um, I, I was in federal court one time and I had a fever. I was sick as hell. <sighs> And I had to drive all the way. I was living in Miami. I drove to Orlando. I get in front of this judge and I untucked the button on my tie. I still oh. had a tie on, okay? But loosened it a little bit. You could see me profusely sweating, okay? I was doing- In Miami. My client, wait, it, it gets even worse. My client was on a criminal appeal for mistaken identity, which turned out to be true. And I'm disintegrating in this courtroom. And we're, I'm about to like talk about the merits or whatever. And the judge is like, do you not have respect for this court? And I was like, the fuck is that? I didn't even know what he was talking about. I, I'm like, excuse me? He's like, when you come to court, you wear a tie. And I was like, I am wearing a tie. And he's like, well, it's not, whatever. He basically said, I hadn't buttoned my shirt. And I'm like, listen, I'm happy to button. This is what I said to a federal judge. I said, I'm happy to button my shirt. But go ahead and call the EMTs now because you're going to have to wipe me off the floor here because I'm ready to pass out at any moment. That's how sick I was. Yeah. And he kind of just looked at me and said, I'll make an exception this one time. <laughs> make an exception. And Thank honestly, you. and I'm a man. And I'm a man. I Like, I can't even imagine what women go oh. through regarding wardrobe in these courtrooms. Oh, like, it is Duffy. a complete pile of patriarchal garbage. Oh, my God. Kevin Duffy, Southern District of New York. Madam. Yes, Your Honor. What is that attached to your head? I wasn't wearing glasses back then. <laughs> He's like, hair? <laughs> yeah, like my hair? He's back? like, this. Does this look like a nightclub to you? Oh, hell no. Wow. See, that is classic patriarchy. Classic. And I worked for, uh, as a paralegal, I worked for a firm, which will not be named, it might be White and Case. Um, <laughs> I showed up, I was so excited. So they paid us 15 grand a year in New York City. That's not a lot of money. So you have to- Was this in the 1700s? <laughs> 1900s, but close. 
um, you had to basically pick up all the overnight work to make enough to like survive, right? Oh, wow. um, so we made ridiculous, and they did raise them to like working wages eventually, but um, you were not allowed to wear pants. And so this was like, when the whole like pantsuit thing was like getting even nicer and nicer. So I saved up enough money. There was a shop on, on 6th Ave where the firm was. I walked home every day and I passed the shop and it had this kind of creamy linen, I wish I'd saved it, like linen creamy pants by Tahari, double-breasted with the big old shoulder pads because early 90s and beautiful, totally covered. So I bought the thing, I saved up, I bought the thing, I wear this to work. I feel like I am a goddess. A million bucks. I walk in there and the head of the paralegal sees me and she says, Finneran, my last name at the time, Finneran, get in my office. I'm like, oh God, what did I screw up now? Um, I was the world's worst paralegal, by the way. Um, I had no <laughs> organizational <laughs> capabilities whatsoever. I needed to like get to the strategy part. That's what I'm good at. So, uh, but you have to kind of, like survive through your like oh, state yeah. stickering phase. Oh, yeah. So I get in there and she says, are you not aware of the dress code at this point? What? Well, I thought this was really professional and I know it's not a dress, but it's actually, it covers everything and it looks, you know, it's very professional. I feel like this is, you know, this is very common and I see our clients coming in in similar things. So I'm sort of on par with, with her, our clients are very white shoe. And she said, get home, change into an appropriate outfit and don't come back. If you're not back in an hour, I will not just dock you today's pay. I will dock you tomorrow's pay too. So I did that. I went home and I can come back and this is early nineties. So I'm wearing like sort of weird white tights was the thing. You couldn't wear nude cause that was old lady, but you wore these weird white little girl tights. I don't know. And so you wear these things and my skirt is like, you know, mid thigh. And so a partner approaches me and he says, that's much better, dear. We need to give the client something to hope for. Exactly. I, I, knew, the, I knew the dress sexy for the client's part was coming any moment. God, it's so stupid and gross. So it was amazing. I actually went um, with a friend of mine who was an associate at White and Case out here in the Bay Area. They had a Christmas party and I was like, oh my God. Because now all of like the baby lawyers when I was a paralegal are either senior, senior, senior partners or retired. So it's been that long. And a couple of these guys were still around and I'm like, oh my God, I remember that kid when he was a first year associate and now he's like, mm, 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 mm. and it's yeah. like, oh shit, my past has come to own me. So it's actually a nice transition into the world of privacy and data and story because- well, we, Before we transition into privacy and data, we gotta talk about my morning because it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> your morning because it sucks tell me about your morning because yeah. your painting behind you is like everything oh no that that's the fire but like um look at keanu even keanu's worn out today oh. um yeah he's like in there in baby mode so we had some furniture delivery this morning that was great got a chair got some things whatever there's like a fly situation like out here in the world and there are billions of them so i you can't see it but i have a fly trap and like a fly electric chair sitting right here and it's been going off while you've been talking because my house is full of freaking flies and i hate flies what's going on with the fly situation is this like a so I, like in the in the i've lived in like this is my third summer i guess in atlanta and um every summer around now like august late july august there's just flies like flies it just i don't know i have no idea and my whole neighborhood is aware like the whole west side kind of uh, uh, like Upper West Side of Atlanta, we all talk about it in the like neighborhood groups. There's just flies everywhere. Yeah, but to be fair, you've got all that raw meat sitting around your house. I do, man. I just keep pounds right? and pounds of beef yeah. laying around the house. Yeah. Yeah. All of my victims are like piled up and need to. <laughs> true. It's true. My house Yikes. is just a big seductive burlesque for flies. You're absolutely right. Seductive like burlesque with an electric chair. With an electric chair. I like that you called it an electric chair. Like, well, it's it's not really a seating. Place, but I guess flies do. They what don't flies like? They do sit. They do yeah. sit. Well, when they, they sit do, on that thing, it's a wrap. They're, doing, <laughs> they, they're doing kind of squat burpee thing. Yeah, they do the little squatty thing, but 
it just and it's crazy sometimes like they get really into the electric part like whatever i don't know what those little things are called that electric you know listen stuff. i was on bumble recently this is a thing killing flies <laughs> like oh okay okay what, what is There's uh is the in the imagery in the imagery of the fly in the electric chair <laughs> is the electric chair the gdpr <laughs> <laughs> are we the fly? Is the data I think I think the electric chair is like suit to prevent the electric chair from getting you. Uh, privacy absolutism is the electric chair. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Singular singular vision is the electric chair. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So serious fly situation here. Um, uh, tying it to privacy, there are a variety of neighborhood groups in which people are showing pictures of their homes, of their fly killing apparatuses. Um, you see their bedrooms, their garages, how they live. Um, and it's shared all over the internet. Uh, and the police are basically don't need uh, uh, warrants anymore. They can just go on my neighborhood chat, search for flies, and see the inside of everyone's homes. That is such an interesting, but on a platform that's allegedly limited to your friends. So is, is that still warrant-free? Pages are public, right? Some are. I mean... Some are, but they're not supposed to be, and then they're shared. So your intention was not to give it up. I mean, it used to be. That's such an interesting question. It used to be that anything you shared online to an offline server was now lost your Fourth Amendment rights. But now, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if, if companies can't use that information to advertise, should police officers be able to use it to investigate without a warrant? It's a good question. That is a good question. If only we had a couple of questions. <laughs> if only if only the questions weren't always so unclear all the time yeah yeah like for example the surveillance state that amazon has built with like the ring um what are those things called doorbells yeah well, look, i yeah. am a zero negative 50 fan of that okay i'm I, I i like i i don't like the i don't even know what the right word is but like the law enforcementization of like neighborhood data i it's just i, I just i hate it it's so creepy. I had a stalker and I had to drop off something. I'm trying to trying to say it in a way that I don't reveal who the stalker is. Did you hear that? Did you hear the death that just happened? You guys it, don't hear that? Death? Oh. oh, we just had another death, you guys. Death count. Five. Breast and power. Anyway, <laughs> so your stalker just went into my fly trap. Right. Oh, God, wouldn't that be nice? Well, I had to drop something off at, at stalker's said home. <laughs> and I didn't know that the ring was A, installed, and B, included voice. And so I was talking to the individual that had things that needed to be picked up at said stalker's home. And um, that entire conversation was recorded. And then the stalker reached out to me and was like giving me a whole bunch of grief about, you know, stuff that I had said that wasn't, Ugh. it just was dumb. It's it was worthless. Dumb. Hey, look, my neighborhood is... I live in a series of townhomes and there's probably about nine right here in this little garden area that I live in. I've got a Google Nest cam um, and I don't have audio recording unless I have <laughs> by design. I don't, I don't want it listening all the time, but like every one of us has a ring or a nest. I, you can see them at night. You see the little lights glaring, right? So when I walked Keanu at night to go pee, I'm being watched by a minimum nine cameras, right? And listen to by nine cameras because it's a tight space. I, I mean, if when I do turn on my nest, I can hear people talking all the way across, like I don't know the foyer or whatever that thing is out there. Um, and so, like surveillance state. And then now, if you're saying like law enforcement has access to all of this because it's like public data, I don't know, man. It's my data as, as far as I'm concerned. But we'll have let to me, see. Uh, let me let me give you like so maybe the flip the flip side of that scenario is that you could test out new material. Like myself, yeah. Like your 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 comedic material, you know. You're walking the dog, and you're like, "I just flew in, and boy, are my arms tired," you know. Yeah, but like, let's just be really and, like. Yeah, let's just vote on Alexa for that joke. But let's be like really, really primitive about it. What if I'm on a comp phone call and I'm just like, "Top primitive is not the right word." Basic. Let's be really basic about it. Like I'm on a phone call with. I don't know, pick somebody, my lawyer, my grandmother, my accountant. Now I can't do this outside because I'm terrified. Like I used to go outside for privacy on calls. Now it's like the opposite. I've got to like hide somewhere, right? So there's that. What if I want to scratch my butt? Can I do that in peace at 10 o'clock while I'm walking my dog without it, the possibility of it showing up on in a meme on Instagram? Because we've all seen the like, 
like uh, door cam memes of people, like whatever, the UPS guy tripping or whatever it is, like whatever it is. Um, so I don't know, man. It makes me extremely uncomfortable to have like, like there's this idea that we're going to stop the government from creating a surveillance state, but then we allow corporations to build it and, and, and a lot, including mine. Like there's a lot of companies involved in the building of like this surveillance apparatus. Um, but the ones that make me the most uncomfortable are the ones that listen and watch versus like, you know, whatever, like some of the stuff that's been going on for a long time. Like you're, you're actually uh, seeing my Andrew, person. Pedro, I want to, I want to ask a question of Michelle now based on what you just said. So like, that's where we are today. You've done a pretty good job of articulating that, like some of the challenges of where we are today with technology. If you go back backwards, you've been the CPO of Sun, you've been the CPO of McAfee, Cisco. You've seen the evolution of privacy across multiple companies, your own company. Like what, what, so zoom out for a moment. Like what has fundamentally changed from then till now, I know a million things in the middle have changed, but what are the big sort of like in your mind, the fundamental pillars of change that that put us where we are today, which is with additionally difficult questions? Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a couple things. I think when I first, you know, late 90s, early aughts, going from a, a patent litigator into privacy, which I, I look at as another flavor of intellectual property. It's got ethics involved. It's got all, you know, rights and standards and a conflict between the privatists and the publicus. Um, but I think back in the early aughts, it was fantasy. So we could talk about edu health or, or telehealth. We could talk about education at home. We could talk about on all the time. We could talk about actually not only collecting this stuff because we could collect it it was a lot of work it was super expensive and only a few people were capable so you could sort of ish have a foia like accountability but it was mostly fantasy in in 2000 now here we are 2021 and this is why i i continue to proclaim and i and i because i believe it's true that the era of the surveillance economy is is waning because of all of these things. So we, we had sort of a fantasy of surveillance will make us all safe. Like where it's like communism actually was not a bad thought. Everyone should have access to food. Everyone should participate. Everyone should be, you know, a citizen of the collective as well as the individual, la la la. The, the application of communism has gone completely crazy. It goes back to Game of Thrones. It's not really that theoretical. So the theory of the surveillance economy sounded great. We could have all these new um, types of commerce. We could have groceries delivered at home. Oh my God, you know, whoever started Webvan is like crying, going, I told you, I told you in 2000, this was gonna be amazing. Um, and it is. Uh, but now I think this is where I say the transition is from the surveillance economy to the consent economy. I don't think that the surveillance economy is going to be sustainable. And I don't think it's just the massive class action suits that will find standing. I think the more we get used to the sensation and fear of being surveilled while we're walking our pets or going for a jog, that will be you know, going all the way back to like 1892 and three, you know, uh, Brandeis, um, it was the the sensation of fear that allowed assault to become a viable theory in law versus simply a battery. Like I don't have to connect my hand to your face to actually have that be uh, a, a case or controversy. Now it's, when we first started thinking about identity theft, in 2010 and talking about the the pernicious nature of child identity theft, which was 10 or 11% of every breach was children's identities were a lot cleaner. Um, People used to read the obituaries to take on someone's identity. It's much easier if you take on a baby's, they they tend to complain less. Um, Parents getting into financial and social duress, people who are on these uh, offender registries you can take on a, a whole new clean persona if you steal from a child. So when we started, uh, you know, literally a world tour talking about child identity theft as 
maybe a means for people to understand that the curation of your own personal story was going to be an economic, a social, cultural um, asset for individuals and for companies. That to me is, is heart and soul of the consent economy. Nobody seemed to care because they didn't feel that discomfort. They thought, well, good. If everyone has a ring doorbell, then I can, as a woman, go out and run in the streets. And, and certainly as a black man, I should be allowed to go and run, take a run because everyone will be watching now. So I'll be safe. Right. Oh, when dude. did that happen? So when did, <laughs> when did that, when did that, like, was there a moment when you saw the flip over? Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. I think that, um, if I put it on a timeline, I think a lot about maybe 2008. I think when things are very cozy and we're all making a lot of money, it's easy to momentarily stop and think, oh, maybe this is bad for me. Um, it's, it's when there's a real fear and reality of people actually losing their homes, their jobs, the economy really just crashing into a wall. Um, that people started to think, who am I? What am I all about? What matters? And then now we've got the pandemic and amazingly, we didn't see it after 9-11. We didn't see it in, 20, in 2008. In both of those sort of national and international crises, the discussion about privacy took a back seat. It was like, we have to focus on national security. We have to surveil more. We need more data. Notwithstanding the 9-11 report said to do exactly the opposite. It said, we had all the data we needed. We need more communication with authorization. We need more collaboration. We need to stop building these silent informational empires. That's what the report said. But what the pundits all said is let's get more, let's get bigger, let's surveil, let's all take our shoes off. It'll make us safer. The difference in the pandemic, when people were asked even early on, when like the gap, the Gapple thing came out with Google and Apple, oh, we've got a safer contact tracing. I was like, okay, yeah, you're not using Wi-Fi, but you are using Bluetooth, and it, it's all in the application. And 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 so I was asked actually on a webinar, would I would I agree to be contact traced if they were using the Google Apple system? And I said, no, I still wouldn't. I don't see the, the systematic respect. I don't see the teams in place. I don't see the accountability in place. I don't see the tracking in place in a dual book accounting kind of sense that that data is going to be respected in the long run. And nor do I see its efficacy being drawn to actually creating this herd, you know. Mm. But so, I, so, I, so two things. One, like the, I, li I like the, like, I like what you're, saying like we're moving from the surveillance space to consent base i think though we have to be careful because like what is consent then like we, we still haven't even decided what that is right like yeah the, the europeans think they know what it means but in application and some u.s state laws in some other parts of the world you know uh india and brazil as well have some notions of what it means none of them all agree um and then the other component is like the application of consent is hard. And then also, can we ask people to change their minds? Like, like is consent forever? Is it for never? Which companies decide who gives who gives consent and when? Right? Because right now there's a battle over all of these things. Like, does Apple decide for all the apps what like what permissions to give? Do the apps decide for themselves? Should you have both choices? How do you present the choices? Is more information good or bad depending on the outcomes you're getting? Like these questions all need to be hashed out also consent puts a tremendous burden on people it yeah. puts a burden on people to be sophisticated privacy nerds and that's not fair we don't ask people to become seatbelt experts in the world you know we put tell them to put on their seatbelt so like there, there's the issue here of how complex what we're asking for consent for is and when i say we i mean industry uh what we're asking for consent for is and then there's the next step. I think people are smart and have the capacity to do this. I just think people don't have the time to do this. Like they're raising kids. Also, also, we have to frame it for people. Like, and we and the law has to allow us to frame it for people. The GDPR doesn't allow you. Like, it's it's fucked up. It doesn't allow you to do that. It doesn't allow you to say, okay, simply to a consumer, like 
when you are acting in your ex persona capacity, you're open to receiving targeted ads. When right. you're when you're acting in this other capacity on this health website, I, I don't want I want different things. And like to your point, Pedro, people are definitely capable of making that statement. But the law needs to allow us to do it. Like yes, and one last thing: the consent economy is a commercial consideration. But the issues of life and liberty that governments control is never going to be subject to consent. I'm never going to, the, the U.S. government is not going to ask for consent to surveil people in Yemen. Like, that's not going to happen. They're also yeah. not going to ask black people in America, and they're not going to ask brown people in America, and they're not going to ask whoever they decide is a bad guy. So part of the 2001 <laughs> Patriot Act momentum is because it was brown people and minorities that were going to bear the brunt of the surveillance. Because I'm telling you, if it was white middle-class men, it never would have happened. Because Brandeis had white, male, rich, man sensibilities of privacy. Absolutely. And when we're protecting that group, then everything's in order. everything needs to be in order and transparent and clear and there are obvious boundaries. But when it's other groups traditionally, oh, well, okay, well look, man, like we gotta protect people, it's terrorism. And, you they'll, know? and they'll, point, they'll point to one example. I, sorry, Andy. Point I to one point, example. You know, I'm going to point to a big of, one. The, the biggest threat to the safety of children in schools is white men. Let's surveil all white men then. All white men, all white men, gun owners in America. <laughs> surveillance. Let's see how that goes in the uh, you know Fox News and uh, you know kind of media hysteria around what should be and what shouldn't, right? right? Because the most dangerous actors out here doing the most mass killings since 9-11 are white men. By I mean, that's, mathematically, that's a fact. That's not an opinion. That's it's mathematically proven. So so this is so let's go let's take a giant step back. So this is why I say the surveillance economy is where we're at now. And I do use the word economy because I think both governments and private concerns are unfortunately right now led by power and money. So those are both economic concepts of what I have to give, what I have to share, how I, how I distribute that, whether I'm a governmental entity or whatever, has to do with resources, power, and capital of some kind. So, and, and, and digital currency comes into this, I think, in the consent world. If we look at the consent economy as consent as we conceive of it today, or even in informed consent, which has at least 200 years of jurisprudence. So, there's, I'll take a side journey in, I think it was 2001, 2002, I did some DC thing and I said, this opting in and opting out shit has got to go. What is, it's like knipping, canopping, you're bebopping, stop making up shit that we don't have legal precedent. Informed consent is at least something that we have 200 years of precedence, at, at least here in the States. I don't know how far back it goes in, in more collective societies, but we at least understand the concept of sometimes when I get naked in a room with a strange man, it's okay. I know it happens and it happens like at least twice a year. I'm going to do it again today, but it's going to be a woman. I haven't met her yet, but I'm going to get naked. It's okay with me and I'm agreeing to do it because she's at Stanford Hospital and I have an appointment and she's accredited and she's on this registry of doctors and blah, 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 blah. so all of that context, I never sat down and said, here's my recipe for who I am in this moment and what you're allowed to do and you're not allowed to touch me here and you're not allowed to touch me there. And, you know, So we have a concept of consent that is much more than the digital pecking. So I think that's thing number one is, is think about how, how do we create these cultural artifacts that allow you to feel comfort for, for lack of a better word, I'm gonna call that consent of, of active knowing participation. So the consent economy, and then the reason I say it's not just gonna come in and replace anything, just like it was a fantasy in 2000 to have Webvan actually work consistently or Uber or all these other sort of new things, you needed a couple of things. And, and before any of those things happened in the aughts, in the late nineties, we had things like digital rights management. How, how did I know that any sort of entertainment or credit card payment or any of these other things could go out of the walled kingdom of one server farm and travel safely and securely-ish <laughs> to other places so that you can have payment reconciliation based on credit instantly. 
So one of the reasons we couldn't get rid of child identity in, in 2010 when we really saw its rise was the desire and the de de devotion to instant credit, particularly in the American economy. So there's a lot of like things to get over, but the fantasy of consent capitalism, I'm sorry, con consent economies is, is there not a way, since we know that we have the capabilities of digital management, digital rights management, information, sectoralization, rules, management, all of these things at least physically can happen, even if hard now, with quantum will happen whether we like it or not. And so you'll be starting to look at a qubit of information more like you look like a human being. So like Pedro comes here with, and, and this is why I love work from home because I can like see all your stuff. Like I can get such a better sense of you than if you were in your little tie in your little office with your little frame degree. All of this information is hitting me hard. So I get a sense and I, and I have a different instant capability of interacting, that's consent economy. So what, what would it look like then if, if instead of looking at just how many dollars you're reporting and how much tax dodging you're doing as a corporation. Instead, what if it was the investable company is curating data that allows it to do business with people faster, to create relationships with employees or potential employees, customers, future customers. Do we care? Is it like a nightclub where it's like, I just want you to buy drinks and dance. I don't really need to like make sure that it's like you again next Saturday night when you come to dance. Cause eventually you're gonna be like an old embarrassing bitch like me and you don't actually want me anymore. You wanted a cute little 20 young thing in your club. So I think we're, we should be able to A, evolve as people. So to earlier to your comment, should you be able to withdraw consent? Heck yeah. I'm not gonna go home with the surgeon today and like get naked at her house. I mean, you never know. I, I, I love that. We're just this up to you. Episode. It's hey, hey, man. hey, we're hey, born no. free, man. Born <laughs> free. Strange things have happened. Yes. Not gonna judge, but I think I think that's the thing, and I and I think what we're proving out too with with this all happening at the same time, quantum's coming. Encryption is there will be quantum re resistant encryption, of course. It will be reserved for the rich at, at first, um, but also digital currencies and the ability to trade on ideas. So as silly as NFTs seem like right now, I think they're such an interesting artifact of a future of a consent economy where an idea that I have, whether it's funded or not by a venture firm and turns into a thing, is it possible that you can start having an NFT-like economy around ideas? The problem, I think, is that governments aren't going to allow it because that means they lose control. Right. And so if we look at what's happening to crypto right now, right, like the Chinese are releasing their own currency. There's all this talk about the digital dollar. <laughs> look, politicians have control and make laws. And when they see people take economic power and economic uh, autonomy for themselves, Governments intervene because they realize there's, there's a power loss there. Now yeah. they shroud it in, oh, we want to protect people from fraud and all this garbage. But like what it really is, is like we're, you know, like we're losing track here of like fiat control of the economy. And so yeah. we need to intervene. And now there's like the digital yen and whatever, all this other garbage that's being put what out. And all think about when Facebook, for example, and I think Amazon is also flirting with the idea of it. Is it Amazon? I don't remember. One of the other big five is flirting with the idea of their own coin tremendous resistance this wasn't about privacy though can you imagine if facebook had its own coins and do transactions on facebook among three billion people i mean like that we know what the what the issue is and it really isn't privacy even though privacy is the vessel by which the arguments are made because it touches people in this like heartfelt way um but the reality is it's, it's a power dynamic debate it's a part of, it's more than your heartfelt. It's it really, and this is, this is, I think the mistake people make in the, in the privacy dialogue. It's not about secrecy. It's about having this authorized sharing. When I want to share, what I want to share, with whom I want to share. And I think that's the power of the economic value, if you will, not just monetarily, but the, the power of owning your story and being able to point it and they, and port it from one platform to another, et cetera is incredibly powerful, even though you're only one little peanut on a platform with 3 billion people. I, you know, I happen to be one peanut with 
most of the world's privacy doors connected to me. So I'm a powerful <laughs> peanut. So hard. Why, why, why do you all think it's so hard? Meaning like, but, and by that, I mean, why haven't, why haven't we seen a privacy rights management mechanism proliferate across not just the big five, all the major platforms and apps that you're using where you can just say, simply put, you know, I'm open to retargeting if I get free content for it in this persona, or I'm, you know, when I'm in this persona, I don't want that. Uh, I talked to like, why haven't, why is it so hard? I mean, is it because well, well, I'll give you two reasons. Yeah. One, the, the notion of privacy itself is different depending on what society you're a part of. Yep. Okay. I think you talked about collective societies, collective societies versus individualist societies. Look at like, feel and think about privacy conceptually different. And so imposing Western norms on them is, uh, you know, imperialist. So, so, so point taken and fair, if you look at the globe, because that, that is what that is. If you look at the U.S. for the moment, does that, does your answer change? Yeah, because then you're just giving like, uh, you, you, like you're not, by the, then you're creating a discriminatory outcome, right? Where you're like deciding, well, because of these notions, you're going to have these additional preferences and, be, and, and other groups are not going to have it. So it's hard, I think. Yeah. If you go down the, we're going to treat everybody different, then you're treating everybody differently and the room for like unfairness is, or capacity for unfairness is increased. If you treat everybody the same, you're being an asshole. And so like you have to, it, there's no solid, easy answer. What I do know though, is that Western rich societies are imposing their will on the rest of the world in a lot of ways through regulation that crosses borders and it's not just europe but it's it's happening and i think it's in my opinion i mean i, I was born in a colony man like you understand it's the same shit it's just in a digital capacity right like it's the same thing it's like we know best go like I, hold on india's got a billion and a half people man let's see what they have to say about this Brazil's got 400 million people sitting there. Let's listen to them. Oh, whatever. Uruguay doesn't have that many people, but they matter too. Let's listen to them, you know, or just pick a country. Okay. Like where's Africa in the global privacy debate? I'll wait. I'll wait. Let's go. Why yeah. are we, why, why do we not care? Why are they like, why do like, because we never have, uh, you know, that, that, and when yeah. I say we, I mean, Western society. It, it's that, so that's... different. Like the, the, one of the challenges is in, uh, uh, I speak, I speak from the seat of being the CPO and GC at a small company, which I've done three times, like all global. So what, what makes it, what makes it exceedingly difficult is I've got to construe all of those different potential laws, many, and then put into the context of their cultural values makes it like even nuttier to try to think it through. At my last company, we, we, um, Starbucks was a customer of ours and an affiliate of theirs and in the um, Philippines, like wanted to buy our software and we did it. But like I had to, when I'm trying to construe that privacy rule in the Philippines and I have to take that, that uh, analysis to my CEO and say, it's the CEO of a venture-backed tech company. This law says that you could go to jail if we have a data breach. Now, you know, my outside counsel tells me it's never happened before. Right. Um, but, oh, and by the way, and yeah. by the way, like the outside counsel also said to me, well, you could go to jail too. <laughs> like <laughs> you're the, I think you're the, you're the head of privacy. Like, you, I mean, definitely you could go to jail too, but like, but Hey, don't worry. Like we haven't, we, it, the law is only like 18 months old, but we haven't seen it happen yet. Okay. Well, you know, practically move forward yeah when, when you know the the that's that's a, a, a cultural difference that i can't even fathom but we also don't have so so we can't boil the ocean right um although we are boiling the ocean with climate change right but the way that this starts to take hold is i think there is enough dissatisfaction there are enough fines that have been levied or, or at least attempted, they'll be the litigators are using their base stamps right now, uh, happily trying to defend it. But I think A, at least for all of its faults, the GDPR put the finding levels from basic traffic ticket levels that were meaningless if you had any amount of capital backing 
um, which immediately divided the world into startups have to live by a very different standard than the big guns. Um, but they put her up at like food safety levels. So that's that's like the first like line in the sand that I liked was like, you know what, nobody wants me to be hit with one of these mega fines and is it fair to get hit and what is, happens to the money? Blah, blah. All that aside, we're signaling that this is to our society, this is worthy of the levels of antitrust, of food safety, of children's toy safety, whatever. So that's thing number one. The other part is you cannot execute any of these legal cultural concepts if the data architecture simply is incapable of answering the question. And the way, you know, we look at the, the unicorns in the privacy tech industry, they're all compliance companies because it, we were struggling so hard just with compliance that we needed a one trust to have a, a, a templatized PIA for us. We couldn't find our stuff. And so Big ID came along from the security world and said, I can map your data. And, and on goes you know, a fleet of others coming on on the compliance side. Where, where I'm focused now is much earlier in the game. Um, how do we start to, to, well, two things. One is as a CPO, it was very frustrating to me to hire all these service professionals and they had their little clipboards and they're so cute and they had their little suits on because they're fresh out of college and they're like hey Andy, do you have data are you the head of marketing do you have data and you'd say oh shit <laughs> privacy team no no i don't have data and they go okay totally cool and they would by the way yeah and by the way you have a ton of data what yeah. is this little <laughs> mini clipboard you're waving around isn't it's it like cute it's, it's a, a mini clipboard. It's a mini clipboard. Well, so, so Michelle, like this is one of the things that I think makes your career arc interesting, like, and, <laughs> and, and why we picked Mario, like as silly as that sounds, like. Silly, that's the, the goat. The pipes, right? He's the goat. And the pipes, like, you know, early on in your career, like going, like spending time with engineers and like the people that are building the things that enable privacy. And now to talk about, okay, there's yeah. a there's compliance software, but then there's like software engineering. We gotta that build it, bitches. We gotta build it. Like you can't talk your way into system compliance. If you want data to be an asset, we gotta go back in history again and look at what happened with dual book accounting systems and the 1933 and 34 apps. What were they in place for to protect the information, transparency? So what, what were these companies forced to do actually look at where the money was coming, look at where it was going. Now, are we doing that even with our dollars? No, otherwise you would never see these big corporations paying zero taxes. It's insane. Donald Trump paying $750. I called my accountant, I was like, hey, guess what? I can only pay 750 this year. That's amazing. And he was like, no, not for you, white girl. You have to pay actually all your taxes. So, so all of that monetary aside, if you don't build in the granularity and command and control over data, don't expect any of these policies to actually gain traction. Why do we care so much? And look, I strongly believe corporations need to do a better job, including the one that I work with. The entire debate is dominated by commercial applications of data. Entire debate. Yeah. Yep. Why are we just pretending like governments don't have the most sensitive data and the most data about all of us? And nobody's talking about it. I think nobody. our entire profession is like, I think there's a perception. I think there's a perception that like the federal government is like the old school public defender wearing a blazer with patches but on wait, their it's elbows. Not the, federal, the federal government and all of its 57 billion agencies, state governments, Local governments, school boards, the police department, the fire department, the public hospital. I just named a bunch, right? All of these organizations have the most sensitive records about my life. Literally, tax returns, healthcare data, arrest and, you know, criminal data. I mean, they have the most sensitive data about me. And it's Wild West Rodeo. There is no, like, universal standards for data management. There's no unicorn helping all of them figure out how to manage their data more safely and maybe like implement some data retention and deletion practices nothing not only that in europe for example where there's this massive movement to like data minimize the corporate space which i think is good 
only expanding what governments can do with data, creating exceptions for all of them, you know, national security, investigative power, et cetera, right? Like you go to London and it's the most surveilled state place I've ever been. I've never been to China. Yeah, sure China's They've achieved yeah. adequacy now. Right now they're an adequacy, uh, an adequacy jurisdiction. Like, they like thinking. And, <laughs> right. And so like, I just, I, I, I totally am like being a Facebook homer here. Like Facebook needs to do better. Google needs to do better. Amazon, Apple, everyone needs to do better. We should apply pressure on these companies to be more transparent and, and like, you know, have better controls and give people more choice and be more explainable about the, like how they're using our data and for what purposes. And some use cases just need to go totally on board. Exactly. When are we going to focus on the biggest danger to life and liberty, which has nothing to do with what ad I see on my Instagram, right? Which is how the government is hoarding ma like massive amounts of telecommunication records about every single person I talk to and every single conversation I'm a part of and every single location that I move through, they can access in a moment's notice. Also, in many cases, without warrants. Like, yeah. Oh, I mean, without warrants, like I, I was proposed to, and I won't out the person, but I was proposed to that the FBI wanted to actually have a secret server farm within Big Corp. And and the CISO was the one, or the, the I'm sorry, the CSO was the one who's like, um, and, and he, he wasn't even saying it to me, he was saying to the CISO, he's like, what do you think about this? And I was standing next to him, I'm like, why am I not included in this? I own this for this 165 country wide, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, we wouldn't be able to touch anything. We wouldn't be able to look at anything. I was like, did you not learn anything from the ACLU versus AT&T? Like, yeah. this is a thing. So the, the reality of, of also like the bedfellows, and I do think there are people focused on this. I don't think that it's um, a well-paid or advertised or you know commercially viable life. And so it's gotta be like, you've gotta be married to someone else or you have to come for money to do it, which is another indictment of our, of yeah, our really. country, right? I can't, I'm a single mom. I can't, I can't fight that fight. I have to do something commercial. But that said, we have to also hold our leaders accountable in a different company than the server proposition, which did not happen. Um, smugly, a very, very senior person was like, well, whenever General Alexander calls, I give him whatever he wants. Yeah. Like, no. So I go trottle off to DC again. I'm taken through the maze that goes further and further and further down. I'm not in the skip. I don't want to be in the skip because I have this dual headed role as a CPO. So I sit down outside of the skiff and I meet with young boys, fresh suits. Mrs. Dennity, why are you being like in league with the terrorists? Right. It's always some garbage like this. Yeah, it's always like, some garbage like, like child molesters or terrorists. It's always some garbage like this. I was like, I used to work at the Justice Department and I yeah. can't tell you how many times the words warrants came out of my mouth. And I was a junior lawyer. And this is in the mid 2000s, right? When the like well, hysteria was. Anyway. Yeah. We got to, we're, we're in more trouble in that space. And I think people realize. People have no idea how bad it is. And what I said to the guy, and, and as they got more and more senior coming in the room, as I didn't say yes i said the reason i keep saying no to you let's start with i don't you. trust you <laughs> i mean obviously <laughs> but commercially i i had a grandmother that's why i'm not sharing with you and he's like what does your grandmother have to do with this because she said if you want them to buy the cow don't give away your milk for free she wasn't talking about data at the time she's talking about yeah. But I, at that time, had all the analysts, all the capability, all the specialists and the experts that actually could do the analytics to, to give them what they actually wanted, which was a certain amount of insights about the behavior of our types of users of our platform. And so I said, you know, the way to protect both of us and to prevent the very deep, wide and pernicious roots of the poisonous tree if you ever want to prosecute these terrorists, these child molesters that you're threatening me with being in league, then you need to have an evidentiary chain of command. So yeah, also go do some police work and start looking for digital shortcuts. Like, I mean, you there are mechanisms. The, the, the FBI can come back to your office with a warrant and ask you for whatever they want. So if you can't meet that threshold, 
have a nice day. If the cops knock on my door right now and say, Pedro, can I come into your bedroom? <laughs> I mean, this conversation is not going to go well. And I'm in Georgia. I might have a pistol in my hand. You know what I mean? Like, isn't this, because no more threatening thing could walk up to my door than a police officer at night, <laughs> at least from where I sit. Um, right? I mean, they're, they're, you know, and so like the, the likelihood of an ISIS member knocking on my door is very low. Um, and I'm not comparing cops to ISIS. I'm just saying threat to threat, right? Like it, it's 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 very low. And so as a brown Latino, I, I'm not going to let cops in my house. Why should corporations let them in their house when we know the capacity for abuse and the capacity for misuse of information? You know and they're doing it because it feels good. They feel like they're sure. playing cops and robbers. So instead, and they, you know what we can do instead is my favorite kind of participation is a PO. So let's write a contract. You get analytics. I'm not going to share the raw data, which I promised not to share, so I will not. Yeah. I get paid. You get a trail of accountability. You can prosecute people instead of disappearing them or shooting them. Everybody wins if you just slow down for a mo, get the get the right due process. And and this was actually a different. This is a different tangent off my head, but I think there has to be a, a, an AI driven automated warranting system. Like there's no reason that you can wake up a judge and say, I need a warrant for because you can get a warrant. I'm the same ilk. I actually, Jim Dempsey at CDT had these great t-shirts that said not without a warrant. So whenever I went on vacation in one of my CPO roles, I would put that over my desk chair. So people come knock on my door and it just says not without a warrant. It's like, you know, this is going to be my answer. But there has to be a system for that. We have to wrap. We can talk for hours and hours about this, but um i'm not sure we went the direction you wanted to go that's okay can i ask a question is that little bear back there the salesforce bear no this is not this coding the salesforce bear this that, the big one the tall one. Oh, this guy no yeah. he reminds me of cody the, yeah, he's not from far away i thought it was cody the salesforce bear. i was gonna get so excited no. i love salesforce his little like cartoon characters they're my favorites no, so, I have cute little figures. He's in my cute head. too, though. He's cute too, though. We're not hating on on, on uh, generic bear. <laughs> he's IKEA bear. He's sweet. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So IKEA bear. Hey, IKEA bear. <laughs> um, thanks for hanging out. And thanks for letting us talk about this government stuff. I really think it's important. I think it's important. I'm not a government hater. I'm not a police hater. I'm not a law enforcement hater. I think we have laws. I think we have parameters for you know law enforcement to operate within, and I think they should continue to do so. And you know, it shouldn't be a free for all just because technology has evolved in a way that there's like trails everywhere. Um, because the victims of that technology, we pretend right. just because that's we right. invented it, we're allowed to let it control us. That's what the that's privacy. Right. The consequences are. if there's abuse that are too high to people's life and liberty, and we need to be really it's careful. Super important discussion. Yep. yep. And we can do something about it. I mean, I've, I've only got, you know, a million dollars, my first angel round in the bank, but this is what I believe, uh, you know, our company is the privacy code. And I, and I believe it goes down to a code of ethics. It goes down to a code of law and a code of conduct. And, and how do we develop our software as software engineers, as leaders that can actually understand that data, even unstructured data, unstructured data isn't unstructured, it's just sloppy. So a, a group of photos, has state and it says where, what, why, and when. A, a database is a beautiful thing because it has a language. So the more we start listening to the language and less to the little teeny little questionnaires and quizzes. Oh, a little clipboard. Well, as you build this amazing technology, don't forget the brown and poor people that constantly get the short end of the stick as cool things come about. Yep. Um, because I think in protecting the people who need the most protection is important. And I, it should be the protect, pro, yeah, protect the vulnerable by design should be something we talk about yeah. a lot. Yeah. And, and I tell you what, the, the untapped mine, um, not just in the US, I think all over the place are, and, and this is actually, I went on a bit of a rant on LinkedIn today. If you look at the statistics, okay. women led and, and brown people of color, the, the venture money, we only got as women 2% in the last year, 2% of this bonanza of venture capital. Look at who we are, myself and my partner, Christy Edwards. We have to fight twice as hard. We have since middle school. We have to be twice as prescient about what's going on in history, what's going ahead of us. We got a kid over here we're, we're dealing with. We got some meltdown of some like weak-willed little lily man who, who isn't used to being said no to. We are, as, as 
people who have never been invited to the table, women, people of color, other people who are, are allies to those people, we have to fight hard and be more creative than anyone else in every aspect of our lives. These are the people who need financing. These are the people who need to grow the next consent economy. I totally agree. That's the best final word ever. Yeah.